Welcome to the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. This is the place where high achieving professionals come to gain confidence on how to successfully navigate their transition into and life during retirement. There's no such thing as a passive retirement plan. To have a successful financial future, your plan must be actively managed. Each week, we will bring you action plans and expert interviews that will help you gain insights, learn fresh perspectives, and finally experience peace of mind about your retirement. Here to help you achieve your dream retirement and live the life you deserve are your hosts, certified financial planners, Raiden Stancil and Merce Tariq. All right. Well, welcome to our show today. We're talking about uh, taxes and retirement, and we're very excited to have with us uh, Mr. Tom Turner of uh, Heroin Company. And uh, what's exciting is, is that, uh, you know, for us is that Tom, we have worked with Tom for years and years. Uh, we refer our clients to him. He helps us with our own uh, tax planning. And, and uh, he has been around this business for quite some time. And, and now as a partner in the firm that he's in, he's uh, actually in a, a part of a lot of different organizations on um, that we're gonna have him talk about a little bit too, and he has some nice hobbies. So let me just say this, uh, thank you very much, Tom, for coming on the show with us today. We're super excited to have you. Thank you for being here. All right, thanks for having me, more, Merce, Raiden. All right, well, very good. So we gonna got a couple of questions. We just wanna to get to know you a little bit before we start getting into all the exciting tax questions, okay? Very good. So how long have you been in uh, the business of taxes and? CPA world. Uh, wow, since about 1996, over 20 years, started a local Raleigh firm and just uh, been doing taxes the whole time. Enjoy it, enjoy helping clients. Very good, and um, so now you said you've been in uh, since, uh, did you say 1996? 1996, graduated right. from ECU, straight to Raleigh. Oh, very nice, yeah. and the company you're with now, uh, what's your position there? I'm a partner here, so I have my own clients and yeah. Oh, very nice. So now let's ask you a couple of little things just to kind of get to know you a little bit. Um, you want to take that, Merce? Yeah. So, um, you know, everyone typically has a story as to how they got into what they got into. Um, what, what led you down the path into uh, taxes and becoming a CPA? So I was at ECU and I just did the general business and I, I think they were starting a, uh, a master's in accounting program to get people ready for the CPA exam and, and becoming CPAs versus general accountants. And, and that really made a lot of sense to me at the time and pursued it. And it's been happily ever after, you know, since then. Great. So, long time ago though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you've been in the pr profession for quite some time now. What would you say, you know, that you find more, most rewarding or what do you love most about what you do right now? Uh, certainly probably like you guys helping the clients and then help them through a, a whatever situation understanding something complying with something is just and you know every situation is different out there there's no one situation fits all so very nice so tell us a little bit about your family what your uh, I, I know you're married oh, yeah yeah right on got a wife Jennifer and a son Luke and Luke's 11 years old and he's going into the sixth grade um, they're actually going to be going to school here um, you know at Grace Christian School so he'll be going back uh, towards the middle of August. Um, but yeah, and I've got a father who's still living and he's at home in Greenville and he has 24 hour care. So that's a, a situation that, you know, I'm dealing with a whole lot and mm -hmm. care a whole lot about. And, and it kind of applies to a lot of the clients and their situations, a lot of folks in retirement, you know, taking care of older parents and such. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, very, very nice. Yeah. So I know with CPAs in particular, <clears throat> they have very bu- busy seasons and then some not so busy seasons. So when you're not in the office for 10, 12 hours a day, what are you doing outside of that? Oh, well, I've got, I've got really two different things. I'm a serious tennis player in the USTA leagues. It's, it's very big. So, you know, a couple of days a week I'm playing tennis, but I'm, I'm a woodworker too. Love doing woodworking and I'm into a project right now. So it's kind of keeping me busy. Um, sometimes I'll go a long time without um, working on something, but right now I'm, I'm in a pretty, pretty good project working, building some drawers for the house. So oh, yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd like do it from scratch. I mean, just like from the very beginning and build, build a, a dresser or I guess something like that. Exactly. Exactly. So I've got a little wood shop that goes in the garage and, you know, move the tools around, move them to the side, pull the truck in, that kind of thing. And, and I really enjoy it. So yeah, part of the, I did cabinet work when I was in college as a side job and really enjoyed it and just kept this as a hobby my whole life. So very yeah. nice. I will say that is something that I do not have the patience for. I just, you know, <laughs> doing stuff with my hands like that. I really, I, I just can't seem to, I can never color inside the lines growing up. Let's just say that. Wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Well, good. Well, we again, we appreciate you coming on, and and uh, and and we've known you for a long time, but we kind of wanted our listeners to get to know you a little bit too. So, we do have some questions though that we would like to talk to you about. We know these are questions that our clients have when it comes to how uh, they how we deal with the tax code, and some of it is kind of confusing. I mean, you know, you think and you start looking at a tax code uh, and trying to print out even a section of that it's it's huge i mean and then there's so many things about it that are complicated so many different things that are interpretive within our tax code i always say i tell people you could line up 10 cpas and get 10 different answers uh when i agree (laughs) when it comes to how to deal with something so let's let's just take this super basic uh in the beginning here tom if we could when we talk about tax taxes in the united states now we know there's different tax brackets. We know that there's, you know, the more money you make, the higher you go within those brackets. But could you kind of walk us through a scenario of how our tax brackets work and what that means when somebody says, I'm going to go to another tax bracket or I don't want to go to another tax bracket. Could you just kind of walk us through that simple basic math? Sure. So, I mean, you're right on track with what you explained. We're in a, a uh, tax bracket structure here that's marginal. The more you make, the more you pay. Um, I try to explain to my clients, um, of course, I'm looking at their specific information, but there, there are different rates. And, and the rate I try to watch out for is the 12% growing into the 24% bracket. And, you know, at 12%, you're at, a, 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 what, about 80000 for a family. Um, so, and I've kind of explained, living in the Triangle area, you almost need to earn about 80000 to pay for rent, utilities, regular living expenses. Um, so, if you can keep most of your income in a 12% bracket, that's great. The next is 22% bracket. There's a big jump between a 12% and a 22% bracket. So, at 22%, I really want to take advantage of, of uh, just tax deductions and, and what can we do to reduce taxes at a 22% rate as opposed to a 12% rate. So um, I hope that kind of 
helps explain things. You, it you're, does. You're, you're right on your premise there that the more you make, the more you pay. Right. And I, I don't mind paying taxes when I'm in the 12% or even lower uh, bracket, but it does really come into play when I'm in a 22% bracket and higher. And by the way, you go from a 22 to a 32% bracket. You know, that's another big leap. So, so I'm, I'm concerned about the leaps in, in significant leaps in taxes. Um, sure. 80,000 is when the 22% bracket starts and about 300,000, 325 or so is when the 32% bracket starts. So I'm, I'm really trying to do planning between those two brackets. Gotcha. So that brings up a question for me then. Um, so the 80,000 is the, the 12% bracket. So let's say I'm in the $100,000 bracket. And so that puts me into the next bracket, right? Which is uh, what was 22%. Yeah. So you're starting the 22% so after 80 is, grand. Is my 100,000 now taxed fully at that 22%? Can you break that down how that works? No, not at all. So it's a marginal tax structure. Um, I really need to rely on the, the software or look at a table to determine, but you're only going to have roughly, let's just say 20,000 of your 100 is going to be taxed at 22%. Gotcha. So therefore your deductions um, up to 20 grand really come into play. You know, do you make the extra charitable contribution? Do you put more into a 401k? Those kind of things. So on that point, I just, I, you know, because most of the folks are, are listening to this particular uh, podcast, uh, Tom, so I kind of want to give a visual here. So 80,000, I'm, I'm in the, at 79,000, I'm in the 12% bracket, correct? Correct. Okay. So for a joint, a joint individual. For a joint. Okay, great. Yeah. So j just for example purposes, and we, we say this all the time, this is hypothetical, so we don't want you to go on record. We just want to give the visual here. So if I'm at 12%, on $80,000, when I hit, let's just go, I've made now 82,000. Mm -hmm. So the 80,000 is at 12%, and then the next $2,000, that two above the 80, that's what's going into that next bracket and is going to be um, at that 22%. Correct. Correct, that's right, that's right. So that, to me, that's a big revelation that I won't make sure everybody gets, is that sometimes people think, oh, if I go to 82,000, all of my money now goes into the next bracket and I've now got to pay 22% on all the money. That it, and that's not correct. And I hear that often too. Mm -hmm. So it is a marginal rate structure. Like you said, only that extra 2000 would be at the highest, higher of rates. Okay. For you. Great. Great. I think that to me is huge for everybody to get. And then now that now makes it way more advantageous than for us to understand when it comes to what you said, like if I put, so if I got, um, let's just say, go back to my 2000 and you said, hey, if you put that 2000 in an IRA or two or 3000 in an IRA, that keeps me in the 12% bracket. And in all essence, I'm saving 22% tax on that two or $3,000 that I put in the IRA. Am I saying exactly. that? Right? Exactly. Yeah. Right on track. Yeah. So that's pretty big. I mean, that's huge. And that's why I think having somebody like you help us look at those numbers is, is a pretty big issue. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, cause sometimes we just lose track of all that and we don't know maybe some of those little things that we can do. So now let's talk about that. I know you went through it really fast, but give us some things that we could do specifically. Let's say we're going into that next bracket, meaning we're putting ourselves into that position where the next money is going to be taxed higher. What are some things that we could do 
where could we put that money, so to speak, so that it doesn't count as income? Yeah, it depends on every person. So, I mean, a common thing is retirement contributions. If you're working, can you do more into retirement? Can you do an IRA? Certain people are or are not eligible to do one. Um, if you're working, the 401k plans, wonderful. Um, often I'll meet with folks and that's just a common uh, suggestion is how much are you doing into your 401k? Could you do more? You are in this bracket, whether it's 22 or 24 or 32 and, and putting more into a, a, a 401k or whatever plan your employer provides would save significant money. So that's one thing. And then, you know, we talk about maybe itemized deductions if you're itemizing, um, would extra charitable contributions come into play, you know, to help out. So, um, you know, those are some of the things look into. Good. Yep. Well, with that, that, I think that's helpful. I think a lot of times, like I said, you know, that's a misunderstanding. So I feel like that's going to be a big, a big topic that people can really grasp when it think, when they think about taxes. So another big topic uh, that we get from individuals, because um, a lot of folks have, you know, stocks or something along those lines that could have what are called short-term and long-term capital gains. So again, these are terms that maybe you and I and Merce and all of us think about and we go, oh, I get that. I know what that means. Mm -hmm. So let's just take this again, walking us through, what is the difference between a short-term gain and a long-term gain? And then we might even want to break down what is a capital gain, like mm -hmm. what, that, what all that means. Sure. So uh, a short-term gain is uh, when you sell an investment or something that you've owned less than one year. So short-term is less than 365 days. Um, and then long-term, of course, is going to be more than one year. Uh, short-term is going to be taxed at your, I'm, I'm going to try and say marginal uh, tax brackets here, most likely the higher of brackets. So you really don't want the short-term uh, capital, uh, short-term gains. You want long-term gains that would be taxed at favorable only 15% or lower tax brackets. If you're, if you're in the lower of tax brackets, you might not even pay federal tax on your long-term capital gains. So um, managing your capital gains really comes into play and can make a big difference on your taxes. Now, when you talk about that um, uh, on, on long-term capital gains, let's just talk about that for a second, maybe being only 15%. Um, that's the federal part of that. Is there any state gain on that that we have to pay in North Carolina? Yes, correct. So North Carolina doesn't really differentiate between long and short term. It's going to be the, the regular uh, North Carolina rate of five and a quarter percent. So if you have a gain on securities or investments, you're going to, um, you're going to be paying five and a quarter to North Carolina on top of that. And, you know, most often people just like we're doing, we, we say, hey, well, it's 15% long-term capital gains and then you kind of stop there. Don't forget about the state. There's an extra 5% there as well. Yeah. Okay, good. So um, sometimes when I'm talking to a client or, you know, they get their monthly statements and a question that comes up very often um, and I, I kind of want you to go very high level, it, it pertains to long-term and short-term games, but can you talk about the difference between unrealized and realized gains in just a very quick high level overview? Yeah, so, I mean, once you realize, once you ring the register, sell the stock, then you've recognized your gain and you're going to pay tax on it. It's going to show up on that tax statement that you're going to put on your tax return. And, of course, IRS knows. 
um, unrealized is you haven't sold it. You haven't rang the register yet. So you own Amazon at a very low cost and it's appreciated nicely. You're not going to pay any tax on that until you sell it. Gotcha. So unlike, you know, dividends and stuff like that, where you're typically taxed in that year, for investments like a stock like Amazon, it's not until you hit that button to sell it is when you realize it where you could potentially have some tax impact there. Correct. And you guys are managing those portfolios wonderfully, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now we talk at me, obviously you got stocks and, and, and bonds and, and mutual funds even, which that has a different layer of complication to it when it comes to this. But let's just talk a little bit about something that I think affects a lot of our clients and that is when they sell a house. And I think there's um, potentially misunderstanding when it comes to that as well. So let's just talk first about a personal home. If I buy a personal home, let's say I buy that home and I own it for, well, first of all, does the long-term, short-term capital gain affect me in a house purchase, a primary home? Um, yeah, so a lot of folks, um, there's some misunderstandings here. Generally, you're not going to pay uh, tax when you sell your home. The rule says if you've lived there two out of five years, and if you have a gain of, for married people, 500 grand or less, and that's gain, not sales price, um, then you don't have tax. And, and it's, you know, 250 if it's a single person. So generally, if you've lived in the home for at least two years and you have let's say at least under 250 of gain, you're not gonna pay tax on the sale of that home. Um, There's some old rules that, that people have heard of and I'm surprised that it still comes up, but uh, rules from 10 or 15 years ago um, says you have to reinvest. You don't have to do that. If you sell, if you sell your home, generally you're not gonna pay tax. Okay, and I want to. I'm sorry, but because we're list, have listeners, I kind of want to walk it through. So let's just say I buy a house and I buy that house for $250,000. To make this simple, I do no upgrades. I just live in the house for 10 years. I then sell that house, that $250,000 house. I'm single, I bought the house for 250,000. I sell the house for 350,000, which means I made $100,000 on that house sale, on, on purchase to sell. Do I owe any tax? No, you don't at all. And you don't even have to report it on the tax return. It's under 250000 so it's, it's just a non-event. Okay, great. Now, I buy that same $250,000 house. I sell it for 600000 That means now I've got a $300,000 gain, a $350,000 gain on the house. Do I owe tax? Yes, you owe tax on 100000 of the three hundred fifty of gain. And if what you're a single person, yep. Yep, great. And what type of tax? Is that a long-term capital gain tax? Long-term capital gain. Okay, very nice. Mm -hmm. Now, what you said, though, is if I'm, a, if I'm married filing jointly, or I'm married and own that house together, then I can make up to 500, which we each get our $250,000 of gain in there. Correct. That's right. Yeah. So, Raiden, let me interrupt and share something a little bit more that, I mean, folks that have lived in a house that long, I have this situation you're talking about and it pops up every now and then reasonably often and they don't realize that there probably were improvements that were made to the house that would reduce the taxable gain. So I've even last week I talked to someone who had, you know, maybe 300 grand for a single person of gain 
And I said, well, did you make improvements to the house? And so just consider, did you make improvements? Did you, did you redo the, the kitchen, the bath, put a roof on it, an HVAC, a fence in the backyard? And then after you take a real estate commission off the sales price, do you really have a gain? So I hope that helps some folks out there as well. No, I think that's a great point. So go back to that $250,000 house example and say over the 10 years that you lived in the house, you put in say $50,000 into the house for uh, renovations or add-ons or whatever it is. Um, most people wouldn't even think about that. But now that what, what you're saying there is that it makes it not 250, but actually you're 300 in. And so now the exclusion is based off of that 300 now, correct? Correct. That's right. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very helpful again. All right, now we're going to talk about something that might be a little bit more complicated, but quite a few of our clients do have rental homes. So now rental homes fall, I'm assuming, under a different category. I don't have that two fifty dollars and $500,000 uh, category any longer. That's correct. That's correct. You have an original purchase price or the, the price uh, when you place it in, in, uh, in service in rental, and you depreciate that cost over time. So you're going to pay tax when you sell it of, of the sales price minus the, uh, let's say, depreciated uh, cost of that home. Okay. And so, and so when you say I depreciate, again, I just want us to kind of understand. So what does that mean when you say depreciate? The, the, the cost of your residence, not the land, but the building itself, IRS says you have to, you have to uh, depreciate that down. You have to uh, take a depreciation over 27 and a half years and you have to do it. You can't choose not to do it. You have to do it. So that um, uh, reduces your cost when you go to sell it. Okay. So that reduces my, so if I depreciate it, I'm already getting a tax benefit. So that I have to re kind of get that back into the mix once I sell. Yes. Thank you. Well said. Okay. Mm -hmm. Good. All right. So, so, so that, uh, you know, just helps us to appreciate the difference there. And so now sometimes I've had people say this, like they've had a rental house, the house that they've been renting. Let's just say it this way. They live here in Raleigh. They have a beach house that's been a rental house for, you know, 10, 15 years, 20 years. What did it matter for a long time? Maybe they've done depreciation on the house, right? But now what they're going to do is they're going to sell the house in Raleigh right, which we just talked about when I sell my primary home, most likely I'm not going to pay tax on that sale. So now I take that money, I move to the beach, to this house that's been a rental house for 20 years, and I now make the beach house my primary home. How does that work? Like, tell me if I go now and I live in that beach home, say for three or four or five years, and I then sell it, does it convert it over into that primary residence type sale? Or do I have some other complications there? There, there are some other complications there, and, and I'd have to talk with the client to determine how much gain, if any, would apply in that situation. Okay, so I guess yeah. I'm just trying to make it this way. It's not just simple enough to say I'm going to go move into this other house and and convert it over into a primary residence. Correct, correct, okay. yeah, and that's really a question where I should, uh, you should ask me. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah. But, it, but in theory, it is possible as long as you've got someone like Tom behind you trying to make sure you work through all, think through everything there. Exactly. Yes. Very good. Well, uh, it, I think this is extremely insightful. And sometimes people think talking about taxes is boring, but these are things that can save us thousands and thousands of dollars in taxes. And so yeah. I think this is pretty, pretty good thing. Um, so we're going to just jump to one more topic here, uh, not one more, but another topic. Mm -hmm. And that is on the, the, the term dividends. 
Um, a dividend could be paid off of um, a stock. It is what most people think about it. How does, how does a dividend get taxed? A, a dividend is going to be taxed when it's paid. And um, you're going to pay tax. Usually a dividend here in the U.S. on U.S. company, you, mostly U.S. mutual funds, is going to be taxed at that 15%. Uh, federal rate plus the 5% state rate. Um, and, and dividends are tricky because you're going to pay tax on it. You may not have received the money. That dividend may have been reinvested in the stock. Um, hopefully the value of your portfolio has increased, but that company or that mutual fund issuing the dividend has, has created a, a, a taxable event for you. Yeah. So let's just Again, talk that through for a second. So let's say I have a stock and that stock is paying a 2% dividend, okay? So I'm gonna get that dividend, but if I have it set so that that dividend gets reinvested, it's not like I got that 2% in my, in my checking account. It just got reinvested. And now all of a sudden at the end of the year, I go meet with you and you say, I owe tax on those dividends. And I go, well, I never received dividends. But the <laughs> reality right. is I did receive them. I just reinvested them. Exactly. And that's what comes into play. And, you know, you get five or 10 grand or even more of, of uh, dividends that you're paying tax on. You really have to pay, you know, current tax out of pocket um, on your tax return, uh, April 15th, usually every year. So um, one suggestion I've made, um, I, you might not like this, is that um, – if the investment account was the source of the tax that you owe, maybe it would be worthwhile to take some money out of the investment account to pay for the tax. Um, you know, some people might be uh, tight cash flow wise on the income and regular daily living expenses. And then, you know, you're hit with whatever, couple of thousand, 5,000 of, of extra tax on your April 15th return. And it's basically from investment income. So, um, just thinking outside of the box there that, that, you know, if the investment account was the source of the, uh, of the extra tax and then, then maybe, you know, the money will definitely should definitely be there from the growth in the account, you know, go there and, and get the tax. Yeah. Get the I money think, and pay the tax. Yep. I think that's fine. I think we have plenty of clients to do that. Uh, from year to year, depending on what their tax situation is that year. But on that point, we have a lot of um, clients that a significant portion of their assets are, say, in IRAs. So I know we've talked about dividends. And, you know, once you get it, you're taxed on it. Can you, can you speak to that if that asset is in an IRA? Absolutely. So if it's in an IRA, it's going to have the same dividends, but they're not taxable. They're in that retirement account. So it doesn't even, it doesn't go on the tax return at all. And there's, there's no tax. That's, you know, the beauty of putting money into retirement is it, it grows tax-free. Right. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Cause sometimes uh, I know that on that point there, we'll just, you know, sometimes people look at their, uh, their investment account and they look at that IRA and it says, you've got a realized gain because they'll still show it that way. Uh, on the on the um, on the platform, whatever it might be, whether it be Schwab, TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, doesn't matter. They'll say, "Oh, you have a realized gain of twenty thousand dollars," and they go, "Oh my goodness, I'm going to be taxed on this." And the reality is, if it's in an IRA, there is no taxable gain until you take the money out of the IRA and actually take it into your possession. Absolutely, sure. And uh, just you know, when you're doing your tax return, if you're doing it yourself, you possibly get a statement that looks like it's got uh, security gains or dividends and it's, it's in that retirement, it doesn't even go on your tax return. So please don't make a mistake and possibly put it on your tax return. Yeah. 
I hope that you are enjoying the show. By the way, if you are in or nearing retirement and are someone who wants to gain clarity on what questions you should be asking, learn what the biggest retirement myths are, and identify what you could be doing to achieve peace of mind for your retirement, get started today by requesting your complimentary video course, Four Steps to Secure Your Retirement. To access the course, simply visit pomwealth.net forward slash podcast. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life. So head over to pomwealth.net forward slash podcast and check us out. Well, that kind of leads me to another question. You just segue really nice into that, Tom. So, uh, and I, I, you know, I know we're talking to you, you're in this business of CPA world, but we've got a lot of folks who, you know, they might do their own taxes and, and they, and they've, you know, maybe they've, you know, had a friend or somebody like that and they use something like a turbo tax, you know, kind of a do it yourself or type scenario. Could you tell us the difference between having an actual person, a CPA and a, and a turbo tax type environment? Yeah, you know, it, it's hard to tell because folks have come to me because they, they do have that problem. They don't feel comfortable doing it themselves. And, you know, that's mostly what I'm dealing with. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not seeing the situations when it really went well. I enjoy working with people and I try and explain this is a, a relationship over time. And me speaking with folks over time adds value and adds knowledge. So um, I think that's a lot of where I come into play is just that relationship, someone that you can call to, you know, ask those questions as they come up. Yeah. I, here's my thinking on that. And I know you can do this in TurboTax, but we talk about it all the time. And, and, and this is one of the biggest ways that we uh, use you uh, in our practice is, you know, a person's about to do something. Uh, they're about to sell something. They're about to try to think maybe about doing something that's going to help them in the tax world for the, for the year is to be able to call somebody and say, I'm thinking about doing this. How is it going to affect me? What's it going to do to my taxes this year? And to have somebody that can walk you through that and say, hey, if you do this, this could trigger this, this could trigger that. And I know you, you can probably model that in TurboTax, but I think having somebody talk it through with you and maybe give you ideas or examples of what other things you might be able to do, you can't get that from a software. Exactly. And that's kind of the nature of the relationships I have and the tax returns I do for individuals is just... Uh, you know, we're there and, and usually when I do a return, um, information is received and I'll, I'll, I'll put together the numbers. And then when I'm finishing, I'll call the client and go over it and say, well, here's what I see and here are suggestions um, going forward, whether it's saving on taxes or just general financial advice. And, you know, I try and answer their questions they might have. And, and those lead to um, opportunities. Yeah. Good. Good. So I'm going to shift again. Um, uh, thanks for your thoughts on that, you know, CPAs versus TurboTax. But uh, a lot of our clients are in that, in that world where they are already taking Social Security or they're thinking about it and trying to think through, you know, when do I take it? How do I take it? And everything like that. But a big question that comes up is, you know, how is it taxed? Is it completely free? I think that's a common misconception. Um, uh, so can you walk us through how Social Security is taxed? Yeah, so Social Security, you're going to get that statement, and it's a component of your tax return. Um, depending on how much income you have de depends on 
what portion of the social security is taxable. Um, so generally married, you're gonna have uh, 32,000 and under of income. Your social security is gonna be 50% taxed. Um, if you're over, uh, I'm, I think I just misspoke, sorry. 32 and under, it's not taxed at all. Mm -hmm. Between 32 and 44, um, it's going to be taxed at 50 percent. So half of the Social Security that you receive is going to be taxed at your rates. And then when you're 44 and over, 44,000 of income and over, and that's all your income, then then your Social Security is going to be taxed. 85 percent of it will be taxed at your rate. You know what's your rate? 12, 22, or more percent. So I just want to slow that down for just one second because I I tell you sometimes I think people mishear that so. I'm going to say it again and then we'll just, it, you are not saying that you're taxed at 50% rate or an 85% rate, but that much of your money is being taxed at whatever rate you're in. Correct. Thank you. That's, I want to make sure that's clearly communicated. Yeah. It's not a 50% tax or an 85% tax. It, it's taxed at your marginal rates. Okay, so can we just walk through, and again, I understand that we're using this in a very high level hypothetical, but I just, again, I'm trying to give us visualization. Let's say that I am retired and I, um, I have a $20,000 pension that I'm receiving. So I'm getting $20,000 from a pension, or it doesn't matter, I'm getting it from an IRA, it doesn't matter. And then on top of that, I have, uh, $30,000 of social security. Do you add those two together and that's what we start looking at? Is that how I do that? Correct. That's, that's right. The terms modified adjusted gross income. So you'd have 50 grand there, right? Yep. And, uh, you would, you would span where a portion of its portion of your social security is going to be taxed. 80, 85% will be taxed. Okay, so uh, then I'm, I'm, you say a portion. So basically, if I go into that 50,000 or no, 50,000, I'm at 50,000, I'm at actually an 85% of my money of my Social Security is going to be taxed. That's right. Okay. And only the portion above that 44,000 or that, all, all of my Social Security at that point? Yeah, that, that portion above is my understanding. And of course, okay. you know, I'm relying heavily on, you know, the tax software to make those calculations. We're not doing them on pencil and paper while we meet. It's, it's, you know, putting them into the tax software or tax planning to make those calculations. And then we decide, do we do things to help out this situation or not? Yep. Very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause go ahead. Um, so I was going to touch on uh, still sticking with social security. So um, what happens from a tax perspective? Cause we have clients all over the place. They will wait till their full retirement age, which is 66, 67, uh, some will wait till 70, but some also choose to take it before that full retirement age in between 62 and 65. So what's the impact there from a tax perspective if you're taking it early, what they consider early? Oh yeah, tough and tricky there. So make sure that you don't have earned income from a wage or from a business of more than, and I just, I forgot the numbers around 14 grand or so. So it's pretty low. You can't work a full-time job when you're in the, in the, the pre-full retirement and get social security. Um, there, there's a strong payback there. Yeah, so there's a lot of talk uh, in our world, in the financial planning world, about doing Roth conversions. So, and I'll just explain that part. That means we're taking money out of our traditional IRA that's tax deferred, and I haven't paid taxes on it yet. I take money out of that traditional IRA, pay the tax on it, and I go put it into a Roth, which now grows tax-free on anything I put in there. 
Now, my question is, those Roth conversions could affect me on my taxes on my Social Security, correct? That's right. They could. So that amount that you convert generally is going to be taxable, will increase your income and thus could uh, increase your taxable Social Security. Yeah. So on that point, so let's say we've got somebody, because again, this is a huge topic of, you know, this idea that if I leave my money into the IRA, the mentality is I leave my money in the IRA that's deferring taxes into the future. If taxes in the future are higher, I should have converted it, paid the taxes the day, converted it, put it into a Roth, so I protect myself against future tax rates. So that's kind of the mentality. But if I'm looking at doing that, could you just walk me through what you would do as a CPA? If I come into your office and say, I'm thinking about doing a conversion, what, are you, what kind of things are you going to look at to help me make the decision on how much I should do? You know, Raiden, really, um, I don't make a lot of those decisions. I can advise people on the general ideas that we're talking about right now. Um, I don't make a lot of uh, uh, calculations on that. Um, I would almost refer that to you guys in, in terms of growth, how much you expect this to grow, and then what do you think tax rates might, might be far off in the future? Oh, yeah. Um, so, I'm yeah. sorry. I, miss, I misphrased the question. Okay. Let me, let me come back and do it again, because that part, yes, I agree. That would be with a financial planner. What I'm talking about is the taxes on the Roth conversion. So, so if I'm, I'm not talking about future tax rates anymore, sorry. I'm looking at doing a conversion this year, 2020. And I want to know the impact on my 2020 taxes from doing the Roth conversion and how much Roth conversion I should do that's going to affect me in 2020. Exactly. So I'll ask for all of the components of your income and we can do a tax planning calculation to determine, you know, what, what rate you're going to be in, what the tax effect would be of converting, you know, that retirement uh, to, a, to a Roth. Yeah. So essentially what, you, what you're saying is what you'll do is you'll get all the information and then you'll basically run some hypotheticals on, well, if you convert this client, then it could result in you paying this much tax. If, if you convert, you know, more than that, it could put you into this other bracket where you're going to have to expect to pay a little bit more tax. And then you kind of leave it up to, well, how much tax are you willing to pay in a given year? Th thank you, Maris. Yes. And, and the tricky bar is, well, what if there's a business? Is it really going to be a low income year or is there a surprise coming at the end of the year? So... You know, we have to carefully make those calculations to make sure they're advantageous current tax brackets. Yeah. Well, Tom, we're, we're kind of running out of time, but I, I want to go handle one more question before we um, wrap up here. And that is something, again, that's been a big topic, and that's um, uh, qualified charitable distributions. And that's been, you know, really big within the world of, of uh, in particularly, I think, retirees and how they take money out of their IRAs. So could you just explain how that can work, um, in particularly within, within the IRA world? Absolutely. Wonderful decision there. If you're going to uh, donate to a charity and you've committed to do that, whether you're a tithe or maybe you're on a board or something, um, if you can make that uh, uh, contribution out of your retirement account, it goes against your RMD. So you don't have to take that much in RMDs. Um, and I believe you can go up to $100,000. Um, so it makes a, a big decision. I've run those calculations for folks and it's saving thousands of dollars when you're going to donate to the charity anyway. Um, so, so, you know, take that out of the, the retirement account as the RMD. And then, um, because you, you might not use the, the charitable contribution as an itemized deduction anyway. 
All right. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. I'm going to go back because remember, our, I, I want to make sure we define terms here. RMD is what is called a required minimum distribution coming out of an IRA. Um, for everyone today, that's uh, age 72 when you have to take that required minimum distribution out of uh, your IRA. So when you say the word RMD, what are you, I'm asking a clarifying question now. I can take that required minimum distribution. The government says I have to take it out and I can take that money and give it to a charity and then I don't have to pay tax on that distribution. Is that what you're saying? Correct, yes. Okay, so that's really big. If I, if I have a charity and I wanna give away money and I'm gonna, because otherwise I have to pull the money out of the IRA, I have to pay taxes on it. And if I just direct it to the charity, there's no taxes. Exactly, yes. And, and I have a nice handful of clients that take full advantage of that. And it's just a wonderful opportunity. I'm with, I'd like to throw a question to you, Raiden, that, that is there a certain um, amount that, that has to be done? Does it have to be over $500 or? For which part? The required for, minimum distribution? For the, for the uh, 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 charitable. Oh, no, you that's actually a question for Merce. Yeah, I would <laughs> yeah. say, you know, from my understanding, I don't think there's any minimum there. So if it's a hundred bucks, because we've had a client actually that has done, um, has say, call it 10 charities that they like to do to every single year. And they pick and choose how much to each one. The church may get a thousand uh, and then maybe another place may get a couple hundred bucks. So they take the entirety of their RMD and split it up over several di- different places. So I haven't seen a minimum there. Um, I don't know if there's an advantage to giving a charity of $1 from a tax perspective, but you know, I've seen them do as low as 50 to hundred, 250 bucks. Mm-hmm. Well, I try and advise my clients that if it's, if it's something meaningful that you really are behind, um, th- then certainly do the, the distribution from the retirement account. And, you know, I try and say, you know, I hope this will be a significant amount. So it's not to, you know, pester with small dollar amounts. Um, you know, certainly the American Cross, uh, Red Cross or $25 deductions here or there, I say it's fine to just make it out of pocket um, just mechanically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Tom, I, I tell you, we could sit here literally for hours and talk about all these things. And, it, and, and it, we have to do that all the time with our clients. And I know you do as well. And um, so here's what I'd like for you to do if you could. So if a client or a person uh, out there listening, they don't have to be a client, but if the person is listening and they say, man, I really would like to have some of my questions answered, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? A phone call is probably best. Phone number is 919-788-9570. This is Haro and Company. And and again, my name's Tom. Uh, Email address is tturner at hcocpa.net. So phone call, email, any of those will work. But okay. thanks for that, yeah, Ray. Website? Uh, www.hcocpa.net. Yeah, and, and, and we'll have all that in the show notes as well, as far as that goes. So could you tell us just real quick, um, how does that work? If I come to you and I want to, to use you to say, help me with my tax return, like, what do I need to expect as far as engaging with, a, with a, somebody like you as a CPA? I mean, do you have like a flat fee that you do that? Is it hourly? Like, how does that work? It's, it's generally hourly. However, you know, most folks expect a, a, a certain amount. So based on a, conver- a quick conversation, I can give you a, a pretty strong quote uh, as to, you know, how much it would cost. Um, you know, assuming things are basic, it it's, would be pretty much uh, that, that quote. 
Yeah. So let me, I'm just clarifying here because I know these kind of questions come up all the time. If, if somebody wanted to call you and have a 15 minute conversation just to explain their situation, to get that idea, there's no charge for that 10, 15 minute phone call. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So they could call you, they could tell you a little bit about their situation. Obviously you're not going to be able to go into a ton of advice, but you can go in there and say, yeah, based on this, I think I can help you for this much or this many hours or whatever that may be. Absolutely. And, you know, appreciate the opportunity, even if it doesn't work out. Yeah. Well, let me just say this. I, you know, we have sent a lot of folks to you. We ourselves, uh, you know, use you and your services and I want to just say that um, it's always very, very informative. We always get everything we want out of it. Our clients and, and those that we've sent your way always tell us, man, we really do like working with Tom and, and uh, he's, he explains things super well. And, uh, and so it's just always a pleasure to be able to have people come back to us and tell us that they, uh, they like the person that we sent them to. Oh, thanks so much, Raiden. Yes, sir. I would say in the, in the past 45 minutes, clearly, you know what you're talking about. You've got the softwares and you can think through some things that maybe a TurboTax can't. Um, so we have thoroughly enjoyed, you know, the years that we've been working with you. Um, and uh, we thank you for your time today. Very good. I enjoyed this. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, thank you very much, Tom. And uh, we appreciate your time. Very good. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right, everyone, that wraps up today's episode of the Secure Your Retirement podcast. If you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it, and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off the Retirement Roller Coaster. Just email morgan at pomwealth.net with a screenshot of the review to get your gift. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified of new episodes as they're released every week. And finally, please share our podcast with your favorite social network so more of your friends and family can benefit from this information. Always remember, you've worked hard to get where you are, and now you deserve to have a retirement that works hard for you.